What's up, everyone? It's Coach Theo at FMU Fitness, FMU Church. It's the Christian Men's Health Show. I'm about to play the Unstoppable Discipline sermon from yesterday at church. We're going through this series, the Book of Acts. We're now going to hit Paul's conversion, one of my favorite stories to talk about. His testimony in itself is enough to change your life. He was messed up. He called himself the worst of sinners, and Jesus used him more than anyone else in the course of history. Never doubt that he will use you. And discipline, come on. I love talking about it. How do we train ourselves to be better with our time and use our days better to devote them towards God? Let's look how Paul was as an example for us to be more like Christ. Here we go. We're talking about discipline, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. I think today is more of like a motivational training session for you when it comes to some action steps on how to get more discipline for the Lord and just in all areas of your life and what we can learn from the story of Paul. Now, there's so many things, just like always, when you're doing a a story or scripture from the Bible, there's so many ways you can take it every time. We're not going to go into necessarily spiritual disciplines of Paul, but we're going to show his conversion and there's power just in that. All we have to do is share Paul's conversion story and there's power just in that because it's about redeeming. Like you are all, we are all redeemed and can be. And it's about uh, Jesus will literally turn your world upside down, make you do a U-turn. There's so much power in just seeing what happens to Paul. And if we just share that, it's enough, right? You'll see that. And then the discipline part is how disciplined he was to completely change his life around and do God's work and what he goes through and what maybe some of us need to get ready for and prepared for and what we can learn from it. And then just the grace that he rests in, which we have to remember that because we're not perfect, okay? So we'll go through that. So if we get that accomplished today, we fulfilled our mission. What I love about one of the smaller groups though is to make sure that if you wanna ask or interact, let's do it just like we did last week, that was cool. So maybe after each part, each segment, I'll just stop for a second and ask you questions. But let me recap really quick. You know we're going through this unstoppable series. The early church begins after Jesus resurrects himself because he appears to people, because they're in awe of what he does, right? That's why the church starts to explode. So because of people like Paul, who did not believe in Jesus, and you're going to hear that today, he was totally against them. Because of people like him who started preaching him, the church explodes. And so we talked about Stephen who was martyred. He was stoned to death. Paul approved it. And then his unstoppable confidence to keep preaching no matter what, even while he's getting stoned to death. Unreal what we can learn from the strength that we get through Christ, right? And then we talked about Philip the Evangelist last week. That little story in between the ministry of Peter and uh, Paul in Acts 8 about Philip, who follows, he has so much humility, he follows God when God tells him to go, to preach to this Ethiopian eunuch, who looked strange at that time of, uh, in that context of history, who was also royalty, so maybe Philip the evangelist didn't think he could do it, but he still goes anyways. And then we saw the humility of that Ethiopian eunuch actually asked Philip, teach me, because I need to know more about who this Jesus guy is, right? And so then you see this conversion because of that humility and what we can learn to follow when called, even if we have no idea where we're going. And then today we go into the story of Paul, the unstoppable discipline. So what I want to do is this. Let's talk about who Paul was because this is really important. Let's go through the scripture from Acts 9. We'll be in Acts 9. Acts 9, 1 through for sure 17 of his conversion. 
because there's some things in there that we need to pull out. But then let's stay on discipline for a second because I think some of you in here want some help with discipline in some areas of your life. Do we all need help with discipline in some areas of our life? Maybe it's health. Maybe it's our work schedule. Maybe it's uh, getting physical. Maybe it's um, with our faith, just doing what we need to do, get into the Word, pray, get around people, get here. I, I, we all need help with discipline. And I think I got some action steps that we got to go over today to help you. And then, uh, and then we finish with that, right? We finish with that. Okay, so let's do it. Who was Paul? His conversion, some discipline action steps, and then we wrap it up. All right. I want you guys to know this. Who was Paul? If you don't know who he was, if you don't know, he was unlike the other disciples because he was really powerful. He was really smart. He was really intelligent. So these are some of the years where they think he was born 81 through 5, died around AD 62 through 67. He lives during the time that Jesus is on the earth and doing his ministry. But we don't know for sure if he witnessed the crucifixion. We don't know for sure if he heard him ever speak. Um, we just know for sure that he was totally against him. He was a Jewish leader. So he was raised strict. In one of his scriptures that he shares, he was a Hebrew of all Hebrews. Like he was Jewish. He was raised that way. He knew um, everything about the Old Testament. He was a Roman citizen which is really important because that's what got him off the hook sometimes when they're about to, you know, put him in prison or try to kill him. He, at the age of 13, he studies under this guy named Gamaliel, who was a really high up in the Sanhedrin, the group of people that wanted to take out Jesus. Uh, Paul learned so much about the Old Testament, so much about the prophets, so much about Psalms. He becomes a lawyer, but here's what you really need to know about him. He's a murderer. He is totally against Christianity. He wants to annihilate anybody that has anything to do with it. So this is really important. He calls himself the worst of all sinners. So he is a terrible person. In Acts 8, like we said earlier, he is the one that approves of Stephen getting stoned and killed to death. So he's there watching it. And I said, maybe that was the seed being planted into his heart. And then in the beginning of Acts 8, it says that Paul will start to persecute the church. He will actually start going to arrest people, innocent men, women, and children, and take them from their homes and try to put them in jail. And then what we see is he goes into this early part of Acts, and he's going to, um, he's going to ask for permission to now go to Damascus to go get more Christians so that he can arrest them. So he really, really does not like anyone that's part of the way. That's what it was called back then. That's pretty sweet. The way. Not a way. The way. That's how they referred to it. The way. We got to remember that. And so now, so he's a terrible person. He's a religious terrorist. And watch what Jesus is going to do with him. So let's go through the story. I put up some scripture um, up here. Not all of it. Let me, let me read it because there's power in just understanding it. And then I think we need to pull some pieces out of this story. Well, actually, really quick, really quick. Before Acts 9-1, um, I want to tell, tell you a little bit more about who he was really quick because he actually says this about himself later, later on in Acts 26. So these are the words from Paul when he's on trial and they're trying to lock him up or possibly stone him. Here's what he actually says, so you just know. Like he's testifying in front of this king Agrippa. He's saying, I conformed 
to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. So this is in Acts 26, where he's actually sharing his testimony. And then in Acts 26, 9, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. So he was on a mission to oppose him. And then a little bit later in Acts 26, 9 or 11, he, uh, he says, I was so obsessed, this is important, with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. That's important because you're going to see how he turns his obsession. He's, he's obsessed going this way. And then when he gets converted, he completely turns around and his obsession goes the other way. All right, so let's do this. Let me read Acts 9.1, okay? Let's pull out some things. It says this, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he's like, he's, he's so pumped up to take out Christians that he's living and breathing it, right? That's a powerful statement. He's breathing threats and murders murder against the disciples of the Lord. He goes to the high priest. He tries to get letters from them so he can go to the synagogues of Damascus so that he can find any who were of the way, whether they were men or women, so he can bring them back and bind them up in prison in Jerusalem. All right. So on his way to Damascus, I'm going to paraphrase some of this, a light, a bright light takes over, brighter than the sun. It might have been midday and it takes over and it blinds him. It blinds him. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? Really important question that we always have to ask. Who are you, Lord? Do we know who you are? And the Lord says, I am Jesus. So this is really personal. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He goes on to say, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then, trembling and astonished, here's a second question that Paul asks. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? So a really, really important question that we always need to ask. Lord, do, what do you really want me to do? And the Lord says to him, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So he falls. People witness this. This is really powerful. He's not just saying it. He's on the ground. When he arises, he can't see. So now he's blind. So the apostle, or uh, Saul at that time, is blind. He can't see. And so he goes, these disciples have to help him get to Damascus, right? They have to help him now. He goes three days without sight, and he doesn't eat or drinks. Now, we go into Acts 9, almost 10 right here. Ananias comes into the picture, okay? There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. And the Lord tells Ananias, arise, and here we go again. He says, go. Simple, two-letter word, go. To the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive sight. So let me make sure we, we get this really quick because this is a sermon in itself. Ananias is getting told to go to Saul and lay his hands on him because he's about to baptize him. You know he's questioning what's going on right now. And he actually questions this vision. He does say, Lord, I have heard many things about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord says to him, go. Doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how scared you are. You need to go. 
You have a purpose. You have a mission. And you're about to change the world because when Paul gets converted, he's really going to change the course of history. And you have a part in that, Ananias. So go. I just want you to know, never doubt that you might be an Ananias for somebody else. For somebody else, maybe really, really important. But you know what? Everybody's important because you never know when someone's life flips, right? Have any of you had a major conversion where it was almost like instant, like we're about to see with the Apostle Paul, where you feel like as soon as you found out about Jesus, it was immediate and you did start to change? Maybe it was uh, more of like a process. Maybe not everyone has that immediate change. Maybe it just takes time. But it's both, right? You've seen, maybe you know someone that had an immediate change where it was like, like night and day, and it was very impactful, right? Anyways, he says, go, and he goes, okay? So just to paraphrase, just to share what happens, uh, Ananias goes, he finds Paul. We're in Acts, 20, or Acts 9, 18 now, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me so you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He, um, he puts his hands on him. Whoops. He puts his hands on him. And then immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And Paul receives his sight at once. He arises and he's baptized. And the Holy Spirit takes over his heart. Now Paul immediately starts to preach the name of Jesus. But what I want you to know is this is such a conversion that even the disciples are a little bit like questioning what's happening right now and almost don't believe him. And it's not like an immediate, like he goes to the disciples in like a few days. In Galatians, he'll say it was like 14 days that he, he stayed in solitude to really understand Jesus and what was going on. Then he goes to the disciples. But if you read further, what it will say is uh, even they were all afraid of him and they didn't know for sure if this really happened. Because what do we know? Let's, let's compare this to someone. I always compare it to Hitler. Hitler killing millions of people, putting, them, putting innocent children and women and men in gas chambers and ruining people's lives. If he turned his life around and immediately in a matter of days and started speaking a different language and preaching a different message and saying, no, we need to save these Jewish people. We need to actually take care of these Jewish people. I love everybody. I love the world. People would probably question it at first. Like, is this guy really like changing right now? What's going on? They might think he's really, really dangerous, right? So even the disciples question what happens to Paul. But as it go, the story goes on, he convinces them. Barnabas takes him under his wing. He starts to show them that he really is changed. And then that's when the story just becomes so powerful because he's persistent in his discipline. Okay, so Paul gets converted. He now starts preaching the name of Jesus. People, even the leaders, his own Pharisees, his own Jewish team members are probably like, what is going on here? Who is this guy? And now what happens, though? So that was Paul. He was a murderer. That was his conversion. He encounters Jesus, and Jesus changes his life and says, now stop persecuting me. Go speak in my name and teach people about me. Now who does he become? Well, he becomes one of the most well-known people in the Bible, and probably most scriptures that you recite come from him. So these are some of the books that they know almost 100% certainty he wrote. Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, my favorite, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and how do you guys say that? Do you know? Is it Philemon? 
filet mignon. <laughs> Wait, what is it exactly? I just confused myself. What is it exactly? Philemon, Philemon right? I just totally confused myself. I shouldn't play tricks like that. Okay, so he changes so much. He plays the most crucial role in also getting the word. His mission was to get the word to Gentiles. And so Gentiles were basically people that weren't Jewish. So here's a man who is all for Jewish people. He's going to spread the word now to Gentiles, people who were not Jewish. He spends his whole life doing that. What else does he do? He writes 13 books of the Bibles. What Bible, what else does he do? He goes on missionary journeys all around the Rome, uh, Europe, Asia, plants churches, uh, might have walked and, and sailed over 10,000 miles to get this word out, um, builds churches, performs miracles, spreads the words to thousands of people. He mentors people like Timothy and Titus. He shows us what true discipleship is. But here's what we need to know. He was so obsessed with changing his life to become super, super disciplined. And this is what I want you to hear today about you guys. What is discipline? What does it really mean? How do we change it? Because we all have it. And that's what I want to talk about. It's not easy, but there's great rewards that come from it. So let's do this. Let's break this down into a few things about what discipline is, what we learn from Paul, how it is unpleasant, how we channel our time, because that's what it comes down to, what we tell people, how do you really got to accept responsibility for it. And I think I have an action step at the end that's going to help that you guys need to hear. So let's talk about discipline. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But what do we see Paul do? He was always a disciplined guy. He was always an obsessed guy. He just changes how he channels it. So what do I mean? You guys all have discipline. Every single human being does, right? But what, what happens? We just have to figure out how to channel it differently. So let me just give you some real life examples of what I'm talking about. It's five o'clock in the morning. I'm driving down the street past Dunkin' Donuts. And there's a huge line through that drive through all the way into the street practically. What does that tell me? Those people have discipline to wake up in the morning it's cold too, it's a winter day, to get into that drive-through so they get that dozen Dunkin' Donuts, maybe to bring back to their coworkers. That's a lot of discipline. <laughs> no, you don't have to cover it up. <laughs> <It's> not... <laughs> you don't have to cover up your coffee. <laughs> We're just talking about discipline. And what's the difference between people that get here at 5.40 in the morning? They just choose to change it, that's all. Paul had discipline because he had urgency, he had new priorities, and new focus, and so he just channels it. It's time to change it. We all have the same amount of time every single day. We all have 86,400 seconds every single day. We all have 1,440 minutes every single day. We all have 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days of the year. We all have that. So discipline, it's, just, it's really about how we use our time, how we channel our focus, how we own our habits, because if we don't, then who does? If we don't own our habits, who's going to own them? Who's going to dictate our day if we don't? The devil, the enemy. So what's another example? People say, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to watch sermons. I don't have time to listen to the word. But what do we know? And some of us do this. I'm saying this like, personal experience. I do it myself, guys. Uh, we have time to read social media. We have time to go through our feeds from Facebook, Instagram, or whatever else. 
Um, if you looked at your screen time right now on your phone, what are you going to see? A lot of screen time. That was like one of the best apps they ever created because you really see how you're using your time, right? So all we have to do is shift our focus. We do have time to read, but we're using it for maybe different things. Um, what else do we do? We say we don't have time to walk for 30 minutes, but we do have time to sit down and watch episodes on Netflix or YouTube. And so all I'm saying is we've got the time, but the discipline is just change it and choose how you focus it. And we can learn a lot because what else does Paul teach us? Discipline in doing the right things for the Lord with our faith, with our health, with our time is not always pleasant. It's not. Hebrews 12:11 says, let's see if I got that on here so I can read that verbatim. Hebrews 12:11 says, discipline at the time is Oh, here we go. It's not pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, Paul was disciplined, but he knew it was not easy. Do you guys know what happens after he converts and becomes uh, a strong warrior for the way? Well, what does he tell you? Is it comfortable? Does he start to live in a mansion? Does he get to be living full of pleasure every day? Do you guys know how many times he's beaten? Do you know how many times he's thrown into prison? Well, let me read this really quick because he tells you. Five, in, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 29, he's going to tell you discipline is not easy and it's not pleasant. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have spent adrift at sea. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. It's not easy to now change his life around when we become disciplined for the Lord or in our health, we are going to look weird to the world. We're going to look really, really weird to the world. And that's why sometimes it's so hard to change our life around, right? Because we've been conditioned to do something one way and it's really hard to change those habits. I want you to know this because you're going to see what Paul says about this uh, unpleasant lifestyle that he now starts to endure for Christ. He will tell you many times that he embraced that suffering. And that he loved to be able to do it because to die is to gain. And he wanted to do it because of the grace that Jesus gave him. And he was able to now glorify Jesus and he was so pumped up. Most of the letters that he writes are from prison. When he's locked up, when he's probably not getting fed, when he's uncomfortable and probably not getting showers or being able to bathe, he's writing these letters and he's going to inspire so many people because they're thinking, wow, Instead of focusing on yourself, you're focusing on getting this message out to us. There's multiple times where people are attacking him and trying to take him out. And so we just need to know that sometimes it's not going to be comfortable when we're disciplined. But here's the thing. Here's what I want you guys to know because this is what we say to people all the time, okay? Major action step. It's so simple. You're not even going to believe me. So if you want to choose how you change your time to honor God better with your days, to make sure the enemy doesn't take over and dictate them so that you can, so that you can become better people for others. 
you have to take responsibility. And what we have to do, what we have to do is we have to say, instead of saying we don't have time, we have to say, um, I choose not to use my time for that right now. We have to just take responsibility. Do you know what I mean? Because if someone says, I don't have time to work out, it's a lie, right? So we have to just be honest, it's a lie. Or if someone says, I don't have time to eat right, it's a lie. We just have to be honest. Like, I'm not trying to be mean. Like, I have to do that to myself, too. Or if someone says, I don't have time to read the Bible, we just have to be honest, it's a lie. Or I just don't have time to get to church. Because what will we do? We will make time to get to a workout. We will make time to get to a friend's house to socialize. We will make time to plan our vacations. And some of you guys know that takes a lot of time sometimes. We will make time for the things that we love and we value. And so we just got to be honest with ourselves. And it's so important because what happens when you start changing your mindset and say, nope, I do have time. I just don't choose my time for that right now. What does that start to do? It brings power back into you and makes you realize that you are in control of that time so that you start to dictate your days. Because if not, then you act like everyone else is in control of it. You know, the day's going crazy. I don't have time to do this. But you just have to stop yourself and say, no, I do have time. I'm just not taking responsibility. I'm just not choosing to use it the way I'm supposed to, right? Paul was so disciplined, he makes it clear because he'll go on to tell us in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27, why we have to take that responsibility or he'll tell us you need to take that responsibility. What he says in the scripture is you need to make your body a slave and tell it what to do. So he's like, I don't run a race aimlessly. I will not box like a fighter just hitting air. I'm going to be really, really intentional and I have to make my body a slave and tell it what to do. If not, the flesh is going to try to lead and tell us what to do. And then in Romans 12, 1, he says, we have to make our life a, a, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And then I think in Corinthians, I think he says something in Corinthians, again, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Every single thing we do can be used to honor God, the gift of life that he gave us, and we can choose to discipline ourselves and take that responsibility so that we can then do what he does. Solitude, get in the word, pray, accountability, discipleship, serve others. You guys know that if you um, are scattered, stressed out, worn out, tired, sick, fatigued, what, wh who are you consumed with? Well, I know I am. If I'm sick, tired, worn out, stressed out, burned out, I'm consumed with myself. And there's no way I can serve other people. There's just no way I can serve other people in the capacity that God wants me to, right? That's why I talk about this stuff, how it directly relates to our faith, that's all. Because uh, we all know Jesus wants a heart, we all know that. But the reality is, if we are scattered, if we are not focused, if we are not intentional, then we are pretty much going to miss opportunities to serve God and to serve others. So it always turns around, right? Why do you come in the gym to train? Because you want to get healthy, but why? Because when you're healthy, you're more, you're more positive, you're more focused, you're more loving, you're more in a better mood, and then you can do what? Be better for other people. That's all. Okay, so then we go, we, we learn that about discipline from him. I'm going to give you an action step in a second, but I just want you to remember this, because it, it's, it's one thing to be tough on each other and to push each other, but we also remember that we rest in grace, just like Paul did. He was a messed up guy. He hurt people. He murdered people. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because if you're hurting my people, if you're murdering my people, you're murdering me. 
And I'm sure there were so many times where he felt guilty, like, I cannot believe I did what I did. Maybe you have done some terrible things in your life and you just can't let it go and you keep beating yourself up over it. I, is guilt good? I think it's good to a point, right? Because if you don't have guilt, then you don't have a conscience to change. But we don't rest in that. We don't stay there because of God's grace, because of Jesus, who he is and what he did for us. He says, get out of that, right? You should feel a little bit upset for what you did. Now let's go. A, a good coach is going to say, okay, you missed one workout. Okay. But then you missed two. Okay, let's go. Like we got to get you out of that. Quit feeling bad for yourself. Come on. We got to move because of grace. And Paul will say in 1 Timothy 12, he will say that uh, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. He was the worst of sinners, he tells Timothy. But Christ Jesus displays this mercy and this grace in Paul's life as uh, an abundant patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So now Paul's life, the mercy that he's shown by Christ, when Ananias lays his hands on his eyes, he feels this grace and love that I can see again clearly now in a totally different way. I don't know about you, but when I was saved and gave my life to Christ, I felt like I woke up and I saw life and perception of reality change in a totally different way. And I was so grateful for that grace and that mercy to now redeem me so that I can go on a totally different mission that then that's where I rest in knowing because it's going to be two steps forward, one step back. You're going to try to get good and then, you know, stuff's going to catch you off guard. And maybe you make some changes, but then you fall back into bad patterns. But guess what? You're forgiven and you're loved and that's motivating. So you don't get debilitated, so you don't get demobilized, so you don't stay in that, oh, poor me attitude. That's all. That grace is motivating. Jesus died for you. He forgives you. He loves you so much. You can be a murderer, and he will turn your life around and use it for him. And so that's why I think the story of redemption and then that salvation could set us all on fire to be like the Apostle Paul. Because what does Paul realize? He realizes he is not the center of the universe. And he realizes that he was not put on this earth to be this religious leader that went to the greatest schools that had so much power to tell people what to do. He then humbles himself so much that he keeps pointing it back to Christ. Everything he says, he just keeps pointing it back to Jesus. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I can't change you. Only Jesus can. And he goes on and he preaches this and he preaches this and he preaches this and he keeps humbling himself and bringing um, people back to Christ. And then what does he say when he's in jail? He says, I am in the chains for Christ. So you think you locked me up, but you can't imprison the word. It's going to get out. And I love this right now because I'm in chains because I'm serving Christ. And so when we remember that, we've got to have this unstoppable confidence just like Stephen did and this unstoppable humility just like Philip did and this unstoppable discipline just like um, Paul has, I think then we start to realize that this world's not about our pleasure. It's not about our comfort. Is it wrong to have things? No. But the, the things can't have us because we're on a mission. We're on a mission. We're on a mission to serve the Lord. Now more than ever, we've got to get the message out because it might be a matter of life and death. It might be a matter of life and death physically 
or it might just be a matter of life and death. Like, do you know where you're going? And if you don't, do you want to know more? Because we love you so much. Guys, I need to be more confident in sharing my faith because wonder if someone doesn't know who Jesus is. If we really love people so much, we want them to go where we know they can go. Paul's urgency changed because he witnessed Jesus, experienced him, and he knew now that Jesus was who he said he was, and he knew now where he was going to go. So his urgency changed. i got to go save people so they follow Christ, so they get that second chance into heaven. And that's why his obsession just totally changed. I want to be more like that. I want to be more like that. Um, let me give you an action step really quick. Because I know it's super overwhelming because you're like, okay, cool. I heard about the conversion of Paul. What does that mean for me? Yeah, I need to discipline my time better so I can be more like Jesus and share his message. But how do I do that? Because the fact of the matter is I'm going to leave here and I still can't figure out how to piece this together. Life is chaotic. Some of you have got this nailed down way better than I do. But here's what I've learned. Here's an action step. Okay, let's be practical. How do you channel your discipline and your time better for the Lord, for your own health? How do you do that? Start small. And here's what I'll say. Start with your morning or your evening routine. Start right there. And I'm going to tell you why. And this is advice I give to people who are trying to change their health habits, trying to better their nutrition, their performance, their fitness. Okay, you can't get your whole day done and figure it out, but you can start with your morning or you can start with your evening. And then what happens? Well, I want you to imagine a pull-up. You see these pull-up bars? So imagine a pull-up. Um, I love to start with an evening routine, but uh, some people feel better with the morning routine. I just want to show you real quick. So you know a pull-up, you got the bottom. Let's say that's your morning routine. You got the top, that's your evening routine. And everything in between is that day that gets chaotic, right? So why do you have to start with the small things? Because if you can at least own the time in your evening or at least own the time in your morning and then finally master that, everything else in between starts to work out. What happens at the bottom? Coach G knows. What are you doing? You're starting to build strength and you're starting to get at least the basic muscles ready. What happens at the top? You're starting to build strength. You're starting to activate things. You're starting to make things happen. And then you start to slow yourself down so you build even more strength, and then pretty soon, everything in between starts to work itself out. So, evening routine. Maybe right now you're watching TV. Maybe you're, right now you're scrolling through this feed. You get the blue screen right in front of your face. <laughs> and then you're going to bed at midnight. Come on, you need seven and a half hours of sleep. It's just science. You believe in science, seven and a half hours of sleep, you need it, you can't be going to bed a minute. But, but what happens? You just set your, your whole night just got away. And then your whole morning gets screwed up. That's why I'm really big on evening routines. So change it. Can you just master it for 30 minutes at night? <laughs> Done with the technology. Or maybe at first you're using the technology to what? Read the word. To watch a sermon. So it's just shifting how you use your time. You all have an evening routine right now, you just maybe don't realize it. So get that down. Get that down. Pray with your wife. Read books to your kids. Get to bed on time. Take your magnesium. Take your CBD oil. Brush those teeth. And then get to bed. And now what? At least you mastered that. The day got crazy, but at least you mastered that. 
or morning. Some of you may be like, I'm better at getting my morning down. Okay, so what happens sometimes right now in your life? You wake up in the morning, what do you do? Snooze? Get the Dunkin' Donuts for coffee? <laughs> or write, maybe it's right to the news. Not a good way to start your day. Maybe it's right to social media. Maybe it's right to email. Some of us get right into work. And it's like throws us all off track. Okay, can you just shift that, right? Now it's like even for 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, wake up and now just change how you're using your time. Maybe it's, if you're going to use the technology, maybe it's to read. Maybe it's to listen. Maybe it's to um, meditate. There's a nap that you can, it's just, or it's get up and start walking on that treadmill or walking outside and just be with the Lord and just pray and just reflect. But can you get your morning routine started right so that you at least got that part down? Because the day's about to get crazy, but you don't want to throw it off by who? The enemy. Who? The devil. Because he's trying to own your habits. Because if he does, he's got you. He's got you distracted and you're not focused. So if you can at least own the morning or own the night or both, everything else in between starts to work out. Because then you get the middle of your day owned. And then guess what? If your day gets crazy, if it gets stressed out, you're in a peaceful state because you got started off right. You react differently to people because you got started off right. If you get to bed, you're going to react differently to people because you got some rest and you feel recouped. It's all connected. That's all. That's all I'm saying. That's just an action step for how to get disciplined. That's all. If you leave here and you need something, just start with that. Morning, evening, get that down. Makes sense? All right, sweet. I just wanted to give you that because I feel like sometimes I go and do a message and I'm like, that's amazing, but I have no idea where to start, right? I'm all over the place. So just let's start there. Own that morning, own that evening. And then we start choosing our discipline better for the Lord. All right, I want to um, pray. As we pray, I got this cool little, uh, it sounds exactly like Paul would say something like this. I don't know who said it. It's anonymous, but it sounds exactly like something we should all say. And so as we pray, I'm going to read this. And it's about no turning back, just like Paul. He changes his life for Christ and there's no turning back. And then we'll worship, okay? All right, let's actually get in the mood. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. I'll read this as our prayer for all of us. It says, we're part of the fellowship of the unashamed. We have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We won't look back. We won't let up. We won't slow down. We won't back away. We won't be still. Our past is redeemed. Our future is secure. We're finished and done with low living, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. We no longer need preeminence or prosperity or position or promotions or popularity. We don't have to be right. We don't have to be first, on top, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. We now live by faith. We lean on the Lord's presence. We walk by patience. We live by prayer and we labor by His power. Our face is set. Our gate is fast. Our goal is heaven. Our road is narrow. Our way is rough. Our companions are few. Our guide, the Lord, is reliable, and our mission to spread His message is clear. We cannot be bought. We cannot be deluded or deceived or delayed. 
We will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of adversity or negotiate at the table of the enemy or meander in the maze of mediocrity. We won't give up. We won't shut up. We won't let up until we have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. We are disciples of Christ. We must go till He comes. We must give till we drop. We must preach till all know and work till He stops us. And when He comes for His own, we pray that He will have no problem recognizing us. And as Paul also says to Timothy, he says, all that stuff I went through basically when I was uh, being persecuted, the Lord rescued me from all of this. And Timothy, he tells him, just continue in what you have learned and what you are convinced of. And we have to remember that we may be persecuted, but we won't be forsaken. We may be struck down, but we will not be destroyed. And the Word of God will never be imprisoned. So Jesus, just give us the strength to do what you want us to do and to change our life. It's the little things that make a huge difference, and it's not about us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.